this is Daily Power Parasha. Today is Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. Torah portion this week is Korach. So we started the Torah portion yesterday and uh, we encountered a lot of drama for one day. We read about Korach, who was a Levi from uh, the general family of Moses and Aaron. They were cousins. How he gathers together a few people and then a, and then uh, hundreds of more people and essentially they stage an attempted coup against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. They say, and they and they cite a very populous message, Kulam Kedoshim, all the people are holy, so why are you greater than others? Why are you elevating yourselves above everyone else? Everyone's holy. Everyone is equally holy. That was the claim, that was the, uh, the complaint of Korach and his henchmen. Moses, as we read, tried valiantly to try to, to, uh, um, to suppress this and to let them know that it's not in their best interest, it's not in anyone's best interest. This is not an issue with us, it's an issue with God, because God is the one who had, who had appointed us in these positions. Um, ultimately, what happens is, as we read, is that uh, Moses says to the people and to everyone that's listening, if these people die as the death of all men, then it's not a sign. But if they die in a, you know, in a crazy way, then that is uh, that is a sign that they were incorrect in their attempt. And indeed, Moses says to get away from their homes, and the earth opens up, swallows them and their stuff, their, the families, their possessions alive, and then closes up. And the people were frightened. The people were scared. And then the the two hundred and fifty um, others that were with Korach and his group that brought the fire pan offerings with the incense, they were burned by fire. By the way, I will mention a bit of a spoiler alert. Tonight in the Torah studies class, we are going to explore the difference uh, between the deaths. Why does Korach and Datan and Aviram, why did they pass away? Or why are they punished with uh, being swallowed by the earth? Whereas the 250 bringers of uh, the ones that brought the, uh, the, 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 the incense, the fire incense, why were they burned by fire? So difference in, in, in the levels of sin, and it's going to be a fascinating conversation tonight. But a few things, a few points to mention. And Faye, welcome. It's great to, great to have you here. So a few points to, to mention before we, we continue with the story. Number one, Korach was exceptionally wealthy. According to our tradition, he was very, very rich. In fact, there's an expression to this day, when in Yiddish, in the Yiddish expression, Reich v'koyrach, which means rich like Korach. Um, you know, if you want to, I don't think it's usually done as a blessing, but you want to, not that anybody should be talking about anybody else, right? No gossip. But uh, sometimes somebody might say in Yiddish, at least back in the day, that person, Yankel, oh, he's Reich v'koyrach, he's rich as Korach. Korach was very wealthy. And that was apparently, according to this, according to our tradition, the story. That was part of what was going on. He had felt that he was wealthy and he was from a prominent, you know, Levite tribe. That he should be given a position of authority. That he was skipped over when various positions of authority amongst the Levites were being doled out. He felt like he was cut out and he was just one of the Levites and not somebody special. Now, what's also important to remember is. That even as that even as he um, hey Faye, we got you we got you here. So even as 
Korach um, declares, everyone is holy. Why are you elevated amongst the people? Everybody should be on an equal playing field. He wants leadership. In other words, he's saying everybody is equal and everybody should be treated equally, but really what he wants is to be in charge. This becomes a cautionary tale that we've seen play out. This is a cautionary tale that unfortunately we've seen play out in a negative way throughout history, where individuals or um, groups of individuals, they gather, they, they rally the people, and, and the rallying cry is power to the people. And meanwhile, really what they want is power for themselves. So like the French Revolution and other revolutions, you know, where it was, again, allegedly about the people, and ultimately it becomes about the leadership. Communism, in a very similar fashion, communism is a alleged socialism, communism, it's about everybody being, you know, equal and, and sharing and whatever, and ultimately the ones in charge get the majority share, and the ones that are doing the sharing, they don't actually get much. So that's exactly who Korach was. Korach wanted... You know, he, he, he alleged, he was proclaiming that he wanted everyone to have everything. And meanwhile, he wanted to take it for himself. So that's an important thing to, to remember. It's not what the person says. It's what they do that really is indicative of where their head is at. So he says, Moses, Aaron, why are you in charge? No one should be in charge. Well, he wants to be in charge. So always be cautious when, uh, when, you know, when seeing movements and whatever, just it's always good to, to find out the, the real, you know, the real intentions. Hi, Faye. Good to see you. Um, okay, so that, that is that. The Midrash says, says something fascinating. The Midrash relates that Korach um, did some stunts, for lack of a better word. He uh, did some, some clever marketing to get people on his side. He came to Korach... Sorry, he came to Moses and asked Moses the following question. If you have a house filled with Jewish books, or even Torah books, I guess back in the day they probably had scrolls. So imagine a house filled with Torah scrolls, even better. Let's, let's just say Torah scrolls. He asked Moses, does that house need a mezuzah on the doorpost? And Moses said, yes, it needs a mezuzah. And Korach started laughing and he pointed out to everybody, this guy is making things up. Moses. Ah, what are you talking about? If a house that has no Torah scrolls, if the mitzvah is fulfilled when you put a little scroll with one passage from the Torah on the doorpost, imagine a whole house filled with Torah scrolls. Of course you don't need the mezuzah. So he said to everybody, you see this guy is just making things up. Forget about it. He asked another question. He said, Moses, what if you have a garment a four-cornered garment that's made of that blue color um, dye that's dyed blue, let's say a woolen blue four-cornered garment that is techelet, the, the proper color of blue. Does it need sitsit? Does it need the, uh, the strings, right? The fringes on the corner, right? Do you need the strings? Because in you know, the original mitzvah is to have, a, to have strings and one of the strings is that blue color. So if you have an entire garment made of blue, do you need the fringes also? And Moses said, yeah, you need the fringes. That's the mitzvah. And Korach again laughed and he pointed out, ah, this guy's making it up. He's making up the law. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not, he's not telling us what God really wants. 
If God wants that a garment should have a little bit of blue, imagine the, uh, on the fringe, imagine if the whole garment is blue. Of course it's fine. You don't need tzitzis. So those were some of the ways in which he challenged Moses on areas uh, of Jewish law. It wasn't just power to the people. It wasn't just who put you in charge. It was telling the people, this guy's getting it wrong. He's not thinking critically. If you think about it critically, you, one scroll covers the house, a house full of scrolls should cover itself. One string of blue should cover the garment. A whole blue garment should cover itself. Right? It's, it's, it, should, it, should, it should be fine. And the fact that, that Moses would suggest otherwise just means that Moses is straight up not correct and not accurately reporting the will of Hashem. So that was, that was Korah. Um... Of course, there's a deeper way of understanding these questions about the bias Malis Farm, about the house filled with books, and Talas Shakulit Khelas and the and the Talat, the prayer shawl that's that's all blue. But just know that he attacked Moses not just on emotional grounds, but also academic grounds. He said, Moses, your academic scholarship is simply lacking, and uh, I can offer a better solution. You know, all, in all of those cases, if you think about it, not all, I mean, there's two cases. In both of those cases, the core point is the same. And that is that the thing itself should cover itself and not need something else, right? The house with scrolls should be self-sufficient and not need a representative, mezuzah. The totally blue garment should be self-sufficient, should cover itself, in the midst of blue and not need a representative of a blue strand. That was kind of his message to the people. Everyone's holy. They should be able to represent themselves. They don't need a leader. Right? The talit, the shawl, doesn't need a fringe. It's all blue. The house doesn't need a mezuzah. It's all holy. It's, it's got the books. The people don't need a Moses. They don't need an Aaron. They can cover themselves. But again, like I told you before, the strategy of these types of people is they tell everybody to overthrow the leadership because they don't need the leadership. And then in the vacuum of leadership, well, I mean, who else is now going to be the one to just to just guide everyone on how to be self-sufficient? You still need someone to guide that. Who should it be if not the person that organized this whole thing in the beginning? And that's when you get a prob- a possibly an even dangerous, a even more dangerous dictatorship. All right, I don't want to belabor the point. I hope that all that makes sense with the additional Midrashic teachings. All right, let's jump inside. I will share my screen. And we're going to pick up the narrative. After this, the earth opened up, swallowed them alive. And after the people, the rest of the people um, were frightened, and after a fire came forth from God and consumed the 250 men who would offer up the incense, this is where we pick up the story, chapter 17. But first I need to tell you something else that I meant to tell you yesterday. And that is, the Torah specifies that Korach and his people, they were swallowed alive. They went into the pit, if you will, into the earth, alive. Chassidus says something beautiful. Hasidic philosophy says the following. What's the message? Forget about Korach. What's the message for us? Even when a person finds themselves in a pit, 
and a person thinks they're just, you know, underground, it's like they can't get out, you have to know that you are still alive. Even in the, the, even in the nethermost parts of the earth, even in the most difficult of circumstances, even when it seems like all hope is lost, the Torah reminds us that we are still alive. As long as we're still alive, we can find our way out. So it's like really two, two messages. Number one, you are still alive, right? You still, there's still hope. And knowing that you have, knowing that there's hope will actually be the impetus, will be the catalyst, will be the encouragement to actually achieve that and get to a, to a better place. Anyway, just a little bit of a, of a, not a literal, but a more of a conceptual take on the idea of being swallowed alive. All right. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. And again, that is an insight on these words, descended alive into the grave. As long as the person, even in the grave, the person is alive. And as long as you're alive, you can get out of the grave. That's the idea. Okay, now we're on to the new stuff. Numbers chapter 17. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to, now I have to clean up the mess. Say to Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. Remember, Aaron was the high priest. Elazar was one of the two remaining sons of Aaron, who had, two had passed away a year before, a year prior. Elazar and Itamar. So say to Elazar that he should pick up the censers from the burned area, but throw the fire away. Okay, this is very important. He's supposed to pick up the sensors were like the, it's like a pen or like a round thing, whatever. It's what the coals and the incense was put into that these 250 individuals, these 250 men were holding when they died with fire. So Elazar is told, God tells Moses, tell Elazar, tell his nephew, go pick up the sensors from the burned area, throw the fire away. You know, there's the coals, all that it's, gets thrown away. Why pick up the sensors? Because they have become sanctified. They have now become sanctified. The censors of these who sinned at the cost of their lives, right? Pick up the censors of these who sinned at the cost of their lives. And they shall make, what, well, what to do with the censors? And they shall make them, listen to this, into flanned out plates as an overlay for the altar. These censors become a part of the altar hardware. It's unbelievable. Why? For they brought them before the Lord and have therefore, the, the censors themselves, the metal, therefore has become sanctified. And they shall be as a reminder for the children of Israel. So there's really two rationales right there. One is that they become sanctified and the other one is that they can be as a reminder for the children of Israel. So on one level, you can't, what are you going to do with the, with, with the censors? They were copper, right? You see the next verse, they were copper censors. What are you going to do with the copper censors? You throw them out? Donate them to goodwill. Like, what are you going to do? Burn, uh, uh, melt them down into what? You can't use it for mundane use. It was used to bring incense before God. It was used to bring an offering. So it's it's got a holy status. So God said, flatten them out. You know, hammer them out into plates and use them as an overlay for the altar. Remember, the altar, the outer altar was made of copper. The inner altar was gold. The outer altar was copper. Perfect. Now we got our copper. So Lazar the Kohen took the copper censers, which the fire victims had brought. Fire victims. Srufim, the ones that were burned. And they hammered them out as an overlay for the altar. 
And it's a reminder, as a reminder for the children of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the seed of Aaron shall approach to burn incense before the Lord, so as not to be like Korach and his company, as the Lord spoke regarding him through the hand of Moses. In other words, what is the utility of this copper overlay? It's a reminder. It's a very stark reminder that no outsider who is a not, who's not a Kohen shall come to burn incense before the Lord. Otherwise, you're taking, not you, but that person is taking a major risk and essentially forfeiting their own life. Let's continue the following day. Oh, one second, one second. Okay, so God takes care of some housekeeping issues. Let's clean up the mess. Let's uh, flatten out these sensors into something, into some copper overlay. Great. But what happens next is shocking. The following day, the entire congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. They complained, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. It's your fault. You killed Korach. You killed Dasan. You killed Aviram. You killed the 250 men. You killed the people of the Lord. That's what the people are saying now to Moses and Aaron. They're not saying, oh, we've seen the light. We were wrong. Moses, you're the real leader. Aaron, you're the real high priest. Korach was a rabble rouser. He was a, a troublemaker. He's gone now. Thank God. That's not what they said. They said to Moses and Aaron, you killed God's people. Just when you thought it was over, just when you thought that the complaints or the revolt or the dissent, whatever, just when you thought that that fraction was over, nope, you have killed the people of the Lord. It came to pass while the congregation were assembled against Moses and Aaron. So as they were assembled against, meaning as they were in fighting mode, that they turned to the tent of meeting, that covered little building in the temple courtyard area, and behold, uh-oh, the cloud had covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. That's, as we've seen, that's usually a sign of God cleaning up messes. Moses and Aaron, at that point, came to the front of the tent of meeting. Okay, now, and we got a cliffhanger here, but don't worry, we're going to read reading four. That's for today anyway. So what happens is the people, the next day, they go to Moses and Aaron. You killed God's people. You killed Korah. He was a holy guy. He had good intentions. Dathan, Abiram, the 250 incense bringers, you killed them. It's your fault. God's cloud appears. Moses and Aaron heads, head toward the, uh, the tent of meeting. Reading four. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Stand aside from this congregation and I shall consume them in an instant. God is saying to Moses, Get away. I am taking action once and for all. Done. Enough. Enough fooling around, enough fighting, enough complaining, enough accusing. It's done. Get away, move away from the congregation, and I will consume them in an instant. They fell on their faces. Moses and Aaron did as a sign of supplication. And uh, I don't know if it's despair, but really supplication, pleading, begging God to, 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 do, to take another course of action, a different course of action. Moses said to Aaron... Moses said to Aaron, take the censer and put fire from the altar top into it. That was take the censer, whatever that pan thing was, put fire into it from the altar and then put incense. 
So now Aaron's going to do the incense. Those guys did the incense. They don't work. They died. Moses tells Aaron, you do the incense. Then take it quickly to the congregation and atone for them. Right? Use this fire incense pan thing, censer, to bring atonement for the people. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Now, this tells me something interesting. This tells me that why doesn't Moses turn to God and say, God, don't do this. Let's negotiate. Moses instead turns to Aaron and says, we got to stop this. So I think that this verse or this end of the verse kind of clarifies. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. It's already begun. It's not like God says, you know, this is my plan. And then Moses says, well, don't do it. In, in this case, it already started. The devastation, the destruction, the plague has already started. So Moses says to Aaron, you got to stop it and use the incense offering to stop this plague that was born of, of, uh, of Aaron's incense offering. Aaron took it, the censor, just as Moses had said, has, has said, had said, and he ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had begun among the people. He placed the incense on it and atoned for the people. Aaron stood between the dead and the living, and the plague ceased. In other words, it was devastation, some alive, some dead, more dying. He waves around the incense, waves it around, the plague stops. And now you have the deceased and you have the living. The number of dead in the plague was 14,700. Besides those who died because of the matter of Korach, aside from Korach and Dutton and Abiram who, who fell into the ground, besides for the 250 men who died by fire, there was an additional 14,700 who died in the plague. Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting and the plague was checked. All right, lots of drama, lots of drama, lots of action. Not necessarily all good, but but uh, but this is what it is. Now we're gonna look. We're gonna go back to Rashi on this entire section, starting from the the end of the previous reading, Numbers chapter seventeen. Here we go. Um, here we go. The fire in the scent that is in the censers, throw away. Throw the fire on the ground off the censers. So what do they have to do with it? Just throw it on the ground and let it burn out. Because they, the censers, have become sanctified, Rashi, the censers have become sanctified and it is forbidden to derive personal benefit from them since they made them into service vessels. Anything that was used for the temple, for the Mishkan, for the tabernacle could not be used for private use. Once it became sanctified, that's it. So these censers became sanctified. What are you going to do with them? 250 censers? Okay. Those who sinned at the cost of their lives, Rashi, they have become willful sinners against their own lives. They were essentially guilty of suicide. For they opposed the Holy One, blessed be He. Obviously that's going to happen. Flanned out, thinned out, Rashi says. Metal sheets beaten flat. Thinned out, flattened. We got it. Overlaid for the altar, for the copper altar, that's the outer altar. It, was already, it already had copper. This was another layer, an overlay of copper on top a.k.a. the copper top. I think that was a battery commercial for uh, copper top, Duracell. And they shall be as a reminder, a remembrance, so that people will say these plates are from those who disputed the kahuna and were burnt. In other words, everyone should acknowledge and know that these plates, these copper plates, the copper plating came from those who try to cause 
trouble. They beat them out, extend spread. Remember, when you beat something, it kind of flans it by spreading out the material. So it's not to be like Korach, and there shall not be like Korach, in order that there shall not be like Korach. Okay, one second. Let's skip that Rashi. All right, let's go to reading number four, which we already read. Hey, Mark, great to see you. Hi, No worries. We do Rashi's on reading number four, which is Numbers chapter 17, verse number nine, starting from verse nine. All right, here we go. Verse 11. Oh, I love this. The secret. The secret that Moses pulled out once the plague had begun. That secret was given over to him by the angel of death when he went up to heaven. That incense holds back the plague, as is related in Talmud Tractate Shabbat. This is unbelievable. Let me explain. When Moses went up to Sinai to get the Torah, he met all the angels. And one of the angels he met was the angel of death. And he had a schmooze with the angel of death. He said to the angel of death, tell me, how can you be evaded? How can we evade you? How can we stop you when you're on a rampage? And the angel of death said, there's one thing, there's one thing that stops me. The incense offering, the ketoret, the incense offering. So when this plague broke out, Moses didn't spend time praying to God. He went straight to the incense. He had his brother do the incense. Plague stopped. Where did he get that advice from? None other than the angel of death. I mean, you would think if you wanted to speak to somebody about you know, how the procedures work, the angel of death can probably give you pretty decent insider information. What's wild is that he told it to Moses. Moses shared it with Aaron. Aaron did it. And now we read about it in the Torah. So... I guess uh, we got that intel. Not that we can bring the incense offering anyway today. We don't have a temple, but it's still fascinating to know that concept. He stood between the dead, Rashi. He took Aaron, took hold of the angel of death and held him against his will. Look at that. Aaron held, I, I just picture, I don't know, maybe this is me. Maybe, you know, just, I picture Aaron holding the angel of death like by the collar against the wall saying, you will not go further. The angel said to him, allow me to accomplish my mission. Aaron said back to him, Moses commanded me to stop you. The angel said to Aaron, I am the messenger of the omnipresent, and you are the messenger of Moses. In other words, I'm doing God's bidding, you're doing your brother's bidding, I'm pretty sure that I trump you. That's kind of how this works. God gave me a mission to kill, to kill these people. You're telling me that Moses gave you a mission to stop me. God, Moses, God, Moses, God's going to win. So Aaron said back to him, Moses does not say anything on his own volition, but only at the, bid, at the bidding of the Almighty. In other words, what, you think that Moses made it up? You think that this is Moses' own idea? It's his own uh, you know, thoughts? No, God told him. If you do not believe me, the Holy One, blessed be he, and Moses are at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Come with me and ask. <laughs> so he said, you know what? They're hanging out. Both parties are hanging out there anyway. Let's go and consult and find out what God really wants. This is the meaning of the statement, Aaron returned to Moses. Why did he return to Moses? To confirm that indeed, that Moses got this from God, that this was God's will, that the plague stopped. Another interpretation 
Why with incense? Why the incense specifically? Because the Israelites were slandering and vilifying the incense. The Jewish people were saying the incense, bah, dangerous. Saying that it was a deadly poison. Why deadly poison? Think about it. Think about it. Through the incense, Nadav and Abihu died. The two sons of the, uh, the elder, two sons of Aaron. Through it, 250 people were burnt. Now in this week's Torah portion, the Korah, Korah skies. So the people were saying, holy cow, this incense, this Ketoret is deadly. It's lethal. It's poison. Aaron's sons die. These 250 people die bringing incense. Stay away from that incense. So the Holy One, blessed be he, said, uh-uh. You shall see that it will stop the plague. And it is a sin that caused the cause of death, not the incense. In other words, God wanted to make sure that they, their heads weren't filled with nonsense about the incense. To think that it's the incense that kills. To paraphrase, incense doesn't kill. Sin kills. Bringing incense in the erroneous way or at the, at the wrong time or un, at the you know, undesired in the, in the undesired context, that could be lethal. Incense itself can be a mitzvah. Depends how it's being used, like pretty much everything in life. Reminds me of a story that's told about the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the 1950s. So he was walking between his house and the synagogue in Crown Heights. And a young girl approaches. He says, hi. She says, I'm scared. He says, why? She says, because um, I heard about this, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, the atomic bomb, and nuclear warheads, and whatever was going on in the 50s. I don't think it was the 40s. I think it was the 50s, maybe 60s, whenever things were getting hot. And the Rebbe so, said, huh? You're too young to know this, but bomb shelters were being sold. Interesting. For home? For home use? Like to insert in home? Use. Right across from the Jewish Community Center in Chattanooga. Really? A parking lot, which had been taken over, which was, I guess, rented by someone selling bomb shelters, fallout shelters, fallout shelters. What year would that have been? In the 60s? Uh, late 50s, very early 60s. Okay, yeah, so the timeline makes sense. Timeline makes sense. So she was, I guess she wasn't like a five-year-old. She was probably like a 12-year-old, maybe four, like somebody, a young person, but curious. But young enough that you'll see the answer. The rabbit turns to her, maybe she was there with her mother, and he says to her, does your mother have a knife in the kitchen? She says, yeah. He says, well, is the knife good or bad? Is it dangerous or is it helpful? She says, she thought about it for a minute. She said, okay, depends what you use it for. Rebbe says, the same thing is true with anything in, 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 in this world. I mean, I'll say most things, right? Which means that the thing itself is just powerful. The question is, what, what is it being used for? Like a knife is a powerful tool. It's a sharp tool. Okay, is it going to be used for cutting a birthday cake? Mazel tov. Or, God forbid, I'm not even going to finish the rest, right? What's it? The same thing is true with uh, nuclear energy and atomic power, right? What is it being used for? Is it being used for something benefiting humanity? Or is it being used for destructive purposes? And I, I understand that even within destructive purposes, there's a question about that being constructive in, in, in situations of war which we're not going to get into today. But really the point is that in this context, so the, the people were saying this ketorah, this incense stuff, is deadly, it's lethal. Everyone touches incense, they die. And God says back, no, 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 no. Please, Moses, use the incense 
or have Aaron use the incense to, um, to save the people, to show that the incense is not a one-trick pony. You with me on this? Incense doesn't just kill. Incense can also give life, preserve life, because it's not about the incense. It's about the person who's utilizing the incense. It's a powerful tool. It can kill and it can save lives. It can do both. That's why the incense was, specifically the incense was used to save the lives, to stop the plague and save the remaining lives. What's fascinating is that in the, we're taking, zooming out, there's a beautiful Rashi, we have two explanations in Rashi why incense uh, was used to stop the plague. Number one, because the angel of death told Moses, insider tips. And number two, because the incense had caused death so now it, it was important that it be demonstrated that can also stop and block deaths from happening. Just so we have a full picture of what the instance can actually do. All right, back inside. That's it. That is it. Okay. By the way, the story is still not done. The story is still not done. As we'll see tomorrow with reading number five, the story just gets more dramatic. There's something with sticks and stabs and writing names on, on sticks and putting them near the, near the tent of meeting or in the tent of meeting and then Aaron's stick blossoms. I don't want to give too much away. The point is there's layer after layer, iteration after iteration of trying to ensure that, um, trying to ensure that the leadership of Moses and Aaron is validated, confirmed, and not continued to be to be brought into question. So we have the swallowing of Korach and his henchmen. We have the death by fire of the 250 incense bringers. We have another plague that breaks out after the people accuse Moses and Aaron of killing God's people. Then you have the, um, the, the, the stopping of the plague by Aaron himself with the incense. So a lot of stuff is going on here. And still the story is not done. It's a very dramatic Torah portion. So I want to talk about, you know, we have a few more minutes. I want to talk about a few things. So number one, the name Korach. The name Korach is interesting. Um, maybe I'll share. This will, be, this will be fun. Let me try this. Can you guys see that whiteboard? Yeah. Okay. Give me a second. And now I'm going to proceed to draw. Do I like this color? Not really. Um, let's see. Let me do this a little bit thicker and format. Let's do. Let's do. Doesn't really matter. Red, whatever that color is. Magenta. <laughs> Basically. I feel like I should be doing more whiteboard. Can you guys see that? It's coming up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where's whiteboard been? I used to do whiteboard. It's so funny. Beginning like 2020 when the pandemic first hit, 
I had a different computer that had a pen and, and a touch screen. I have a different computer. So I was, I, yeah, I was doing this more often. Anyway, that's how you spell Korach in Hebrew. See that? Kuf, Reish, Ches. Now, according, not according, these three letters are very close to a fourth letter. And you know what that fourth letter is? Oh, man, I should have given myself more space. All right, I'm going to write it down here. The fourth letter, yes. That is a letter hey. So the letter hey, right, it has a nine, you know, the two lines that meet at a 90 degree angle and then a third partial line. Look at the kuf. The kuf also has those two lines and a partial, but it extends below the line. The reish has the two lines, but not the partial. The ches has two lines and then a full. So they're all a little bit of a variation on the hey. Now the hey is a spiritual letter. First of all, it says the hey is the letter of life. Why? Because when you breathe a pure breath, exhale is the hey sound. Are you with me on that? Yeah? A pure breath, exhale, makes a hey sound, right? Right? It's, it's a hey. It's the letter hey. So it's pure breath. Neshama, neshima, pure breath is hey. It says that this world was created with the letter hey. By the way, one of the understandings that we've, I'm sure I've shared this before many times, is that the world is a hey. Right? Sometimes we might fall below, but there's always an escape hatch, right? You can always, you can always get, out of, get out of dodge. You're never trapped in, right? Unlike the ches, once you're in, you can't, there's nowhere to go. The hey, you can always, you can always get away. Okay, the kuf, reish, and ches represent three elements. You ready? I'm going to give you some elements. Let's erase the, um, sorry, the three legs of the hay represent three things. Oh, wait, I need to do this a little bit differently. Give me a sec. Let's draw with a thinner line and a different color. By the way, please don't judge my oh, don't judge my handwriting. It is very hard to draw. Oh, geez, what was that? To draw with a um, with a pen, at least for me. Thought. Speech. And action. These are the three garments of the soul. If you're familiar with a little Tanya, a little Chassidus, a little Kabbalah, so you know thought, speech, and action are the three garments of the soul. And what that means is the soul is who you are and then how you express yourself. You can either express yourself internally, and that's your act of thought. Speech is expression to the other, and action is expression to the world. In a healthy human being, and when I say healthy, I don't, I don't want to sound judgy here, ideally, the Bainani, right? The, 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 the prototype of a healthy, spiritually healthy human being, thought, speech, and action, everything would be kosher. So healthy thoughts, healthy words being uttered, and healthy actions being taken, all of that would be in a very healthy context. But the problem is it's not always healthy. A healthy thought, speech, and action is the hey. You have thought on the top. Thought is your top bar, right? That's your top bar is thought. 
you have speech, and then you have action. Okay? Then you have action. So your thought is fully worked out, your speech is also fully fleshed out, and they're connected, then your action, your action is that third, I don't know, it still looks like an R or whatever, the action is, has that little space, little space. Why? Because the action doesn't overwhelm the thought and the speech. It, uh, it's, it's, it's influenced by, but it doesn't influence the others. It's everything's in moderation. When it comes to the kuf, let's, so this is a healthy. So this is, you might be wondering what that is. That's me experimenting. That's supposed to be like lines, like yay, and that doesn't look at all like that. Anyway, so hay is the ideal. Hay is the kosher form of that. You'll see how everything gets a bit distorted in the name korach. Korach, the distortion is in the long leg. That means that a person's actions are not dictated by thought and speech. They're going below the line. Are you with me on that? They're going below the line. It means that a person is like, you know, their ideals or their thoughts are okay, kosher. Their words are kosher, but in action, yeah, they're, they're all the way down. They're, they're, they go low in, in action, maybe behind closed doors. That's unhealthy. The reish. The reish is someone that has great ideas and, and talks the good talk, but there's no action at all. The reish is like, bro, where's the action? It's like all talk and all ideas and no action. That's also not healthy. The ches has thought, has speech, but the action is too big. The action... Too much action. What that means is that the action is so full that it actually um, bumps up against the thought and speech. Instead of being subservient to the thought and speech, the action itself promotes itself like a big macher and, uh, and, and, and can then, unfortunately, modify the thought and speech. It's kind of like, just to explain what I mean, so this, the area, the area that it touches is the problem over here with the ches. Just to explain what I mean, and I've used this example before, uh, the example of the archer, the, the king who goes into the forest, uh, he's wandering one day, he's taking a stroll in the forest, and he sees that in the forest, there's a bunch of bullseye, a bunch of targets, and the, and the arrows on all the trees in this forest, the arrows are dead center, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. How's it possible? I know Mark Rober has, he built, I don't know if you know who Mark Rober is, he's a YouTube guy that builds all these cool creations. He's actually incredible. Mark Rober built a bullseye that is that has radar and detection, whatever, that when you shoot an arrow at high speed, the and there's like obviously like a, a motor and whatever, the, 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 the target moves so that the arrow hits the bullseye. But this king was wondering how that's happening, and he finds the archer, a young, boy, a young man, uh, you know, a teenager, and he says, how did you do it? And he says, easy, I shoot the arrows first, and then I draw the circle. That's kind of like the ches of Korach. It's like the action is so prominent because it's touching that it even starts modifying the, the thought and the speech. It, it, to give you a practical example of that, you know, like in business, the correct way to do this would be like, to do this to create a, a business would be to have an idea and then you know flesh it out and then get invested like and then you execute on that um but sometimes in business you might start one way and end up in a different way and oh, i don't know if business is a good example of this you know 
can I talk about, we'll talk about a nonprofit, right? We'll talk about a nonprofit. Let's say, uh, let's say a synagogue, right? A synagogue might start off with an idea of what it wants to do. And then sooner or later, it realizes, wait a second, we're doing all this other stuff, right? That we don't really, that's not really our core mission, but we're doing it because of whatever. Maybe it brings in money or maybe it, we're creating the mission around the action and not the action around the mission. Does that make sense? We're creating the mission around the action and not the action around the mission. So the mission would be this part, right? Thought and speech are more like still the mission. And the third leg on the side is really the action. You always want your action to be humble, to have a gap, to be humbled to the mission so that your action is, is, in, is consistent with the mission. So in the case of the Kuf, just to recap, in the case of the Kuf, your action is way below the line. That means like it's, it's already entering nefarious territory. In the Reish, there's no action. It's all theory, no action. The Ches, your action is touching on the mission, which means that it's actually, now that sounds like, oh, they're perfect, it's touching, that means it's all synced up. No, it, in this case, it means that it's actually going to tilt the mission away from where it needs to be. You need to have a separation between the ideals and the action, otherwise your ideals will start disappearing. Your ideals will start eroding through your action. That's the danger of the Ches. The hay has that perfect gap. The space, you know what, let me give you a journalistic example. The space between editorial and advertising. You with me on this? You want that space, you want that gap. You don't want the New York Times to start putting front page articles about their high, you know, how great their, um, their advertisers are. That's already, you're mixing now editorial. If Google takes out an ad, if Google takes out an ad in the Wall Street Journal, you still want the Wall Street Journal to be able to write a critical article about, about Google. They have to remain separate. They have to. So when it comes to the hey, you have that separation. Action is here, but the editorial, the concept, the theory is up here. You have to have that space. It's a healthy space. I'm giving you a bunch of different examples to think about it. Anyway, this is Achsidis, how Kabbalah explains Korach and how in the word Korach, again, the three letters, Kofresh Ches, you have already an intimation, you have a hint about where things can go wrong. Hey is the ideal, Kufresh Ches, they're all like skewed versions of that. Anyway, I hope this, I hope you enjoyed this, I hope this made sense, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the whiteboard, even a percentage of how much I enjoyed this. This is, uh, I feel like, honestly, John Madden, little uh, teleprompter, right? <laughs> look, look at the hat, look at the, I'm not gonna try to do an inter- impersonation, although I could. But I'm not going to do it for right now. But anyway, it's uh, it's fantastic. Korach. Hey. Hey, Korach. Anyway, what Korach missed was the balance. Healthy balance. By the way, separation between leadership and the people is also important. That's also the hey. Right? Korach said, there shouldn't be any leadership. Uh, that's kind of like a challenge. That's not going to work either. You need... You need you need a vision that's above the action. You need editorial above advertising. You just need that space. You need that space. You need the other, you need the leg. So you need the space, you need the leg, you need that piece. And that piece can't like just go on its own altogether. Just go rogue. That's gone rogue. So going rogue is no good. Missing is no good. And touching and therefore influencing from, from the opposite side. You don't lead that. The dog shouldn't walk the person. The person should walk the dog, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing. I really don't because I, I have an affinity now toward this board. <laughs> anyway, we're going to let it go.
because it's also good to, to learn how to let go. Um, okay, I hope you enjoyed it. Have a wonderful day. Uh, that's it for DPP today. Um, tonight is Torah studies. As I mentioned, the teaser of Torah studies or the, the theme of Torah studies obviously is Korach, the story. But why did the, why did the earth open up and swallow him? And why did fire kill the, the 250 incense offers? Why swallowing into the earth and why fire and why this for these guys and those for those guys? Why the different punishments? What does it mean for us in 2022? We're also going to get into equality, equity, diversity, and unity. All themes in tonight's class. And of course, at the core is going to be what Korach got wrong and the lessons that we can take from that. All right, that's it for today. Any questions, comments before we wrap up? A question. Yeah. Was Korach Moses' brother? Cousin. Cousin. Yeah, remember Levi, the original Levi, like the son of Jacob Levi, the father of the Levites? So he had three sons. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. One second. Let me let me look at this. Let me look at the. Um... Oh wow, yeah. Okay. Huh. It's closer than closer than 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 you would think. It's very close. Levi had three sons. Right, family tree. So Levi and then three sons. I feel like I'm curveball. Whatever. So Levi and three sons. One of the three is Kahat. Kahat had a few sons. Kahat had, I think, four sons. Um, Korach and Moses and Aaron, obviously, they all came from Kahat. Not only from Levi, they all came from Kahat. The difference was Kahat's kids. So they were literally cousins. Their fathers, Moses' father, Amram, and Kahat's father, Yitzhar, were brothers. The first cousins. First cousins. It's always family. I'm kidding. Anyway, so first cousins. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, Korach just couldn't, couldn't stand that his cousins got all this stuff, got all this glory. Then he felt he was skipped over for other honors and everything. Anyway, yeah, what are you going to do? He was also, I mentioned at the beginning, he was also rich. So, you know, when he had tons of money and he still didn't have that, that what, he, what he felt, didn't have enough prestige, that just got him, got him all sorts of riled. Anyway, Austin Riley. All right, that's it for today. Today, not tonight. That's it for today. Tomorrow, yeah, we're on Thursday at noon. Okay, we'll see you then. Take care, Sarah, Faye, and Mark. Have a wonderful day. Hope to see you tonight, 7.30 for Torah Studies. All right, take care. See you guys. Thank you.